Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So, um, this is the uh, the first class of our 2021 Truth of Happiness Dhamma study. We've done this, um, I, don't, I don't know how many times, maybe eight, nine, ten times uh, within our Sangha. Um, and we're doing it a little bit differently this time. Uh, so, I'm asking all of you to do the reading and uh, the writing and bring that to our class. Um what what I am not going to do is to read uh, reread the chapter that you've already read the previous week, and uh, just simply comment and <laughs> hopefully briefly on uh, on uh, this week's topic. So this week's topic is jhana meditation. Um, for many many years, I meditated with the wrong method. And I, again, I'm just talking about that in relation to what the Buddha taught. There's right meditation and there's wrong meditation. So I meditated for the purpose of fixing something that I thought was wrong with me or making me a better person. And that's not what the Buddha taught. The Buddha taught to, that we meditate to deepen concentration so that we can understand who we are, not change who we are. And that is the most significant thing that I learned from the Buddha's Dhamma. There's nothing that we can change or should change about who we are, particularly in meditation. In meditation, we should just use the technique to, in this moment, understand what I am. And if in this moment I'm a conflicted human being, then I should take a breath and recognize where that conf conflict comes from. The conflict comes from ignorance of Four Noble Truths, not from something that I am personally doing. And that's an important point. The conflict comes from ignorance of Four Noble Truths. The, the ignorance of Four Noble Truths is, is inherent and prevalent in human life. That's what that means, that it's, it's, it's a noble truth, meaning it's, it's prevalent throughout all of our experience. And it is through this simple technique that Siddhartha Gautama developed of taking our minds away from that distraction of who I should be or who I want to be into just what I am in this moment. And, and that has nothing to do with what I might have been in the past or what I might be in the future. When I unite my mind and my body, I am living the experience of who I am in this moment. And that experience should not be judged one way or another. When I say that we must be gentle with ourselves, this is really what I'm, referring, what I'm referring to. What do I think about myself in this moment? Do I need to be better than I am or worse than I am? That's a distracted mind. When my mind is well concentrated, my mind united in my body, I don't think that way. And that's the important point. I am simply what's occurring in this moment. So I'm going to leave the, the, the reading of, this, of the chapter and the, even a more deeper explanation of jhana meditation 
because what I really want to hear is what you have thought about what you've read this past week. And I'm going to start with Karen. Hello, Karen. Hello, everybody. Um, I don't have anything to share because I didn't read it. <laughs> oh. I'm sorry. That's I'm okay. Sorry. I'm behind and uh, I'll just listen tonight. But please read, Karen, and, and I don't. I don't mean that. That that should have excluded you. Thank you for joining us. Sure. Um, the the Buddha taught jhana meditation for one reason to deepen our concentration. And I think as you read the uh, the introduction in the the first chapter, you'll see that that is the purpose. But it makes sense, though, doesn't it? That all the other things that we try to attach um, to a so called spiritual or religious practice really are just just distractions. What is most important is that we learn to be a human being right here, right now. So mm -hmm. thank you for joining us, thank Karen. Thank you. Ram, what do you got to say? Well, I just heard you say that you spent years meditating the wrong way for the wrong reasons. Um, me too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And in my case, it was, uh, in a way, to, yeah, there was some fixing that I was trying to do there. Yeah. Um, you know, when, when I went, went forth, so to speak, um, one of the motivations was that I realized that I was completely in my head. You know, yeah. I was a little geek, and that my whole life just was lived in, in, in the thinking process. And I knew that that was not ideal. So um, when I picked up meditation, it was really to um, try and choke off this thinking process. You know, and I was promised that I could stop thinking. Yeah, that is the wrong view, isn't it? Uh-huh, yeah. yeah. And um, even, you know, after I, I came to the Sangha here, uh, I still, in, in, even though I knew that jhana was for increasing concentration, for uh, stopping distraction, um, I still spent, God, three, four years just not getting that. I was just not getting it. Wait a minute, Mark. Well, I don't mean to interrupt you, and I, and I really apologize, but this is important. That you yeah. you weren't getting it, but you kept doing it. You engaged in you you continue to engage in right effort. I continue to engage in effort. Let's put it this way. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't say that it was that it was well. It was right in effort in that um, the intention was was changing no. um but it wasn't the right meditation let's put it that way um that urge to stop thinking took a long time to let that burn out yeah. um, and so again i want you I, I, that, that it's such an important point that we're even the modern presentation of meditation is to stop thinking and that is the wrong method isn't it Right. Yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> and, oh, you're, you're right in the river there. 
So I'm, but over time, I kind of fell into right meditation, where it's just you see the thinking and you change the awareness to to the breath. And it's a gentle process, and it's not a frustrating process. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, anybody who wants to, uh, uh, to get pointers on how not to do it, uh, please talk to me. <laughs> Thank you, Ron. <laughs> Tim, how are you tonight? It's good to see you. How have you been? Uh, yeah, rereading re the chapter again was um, a lot. Of, a lot of things really uh, sprung out uh, that didn't didn't really come to bear in mind the first time going through this um, course. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that I really I think sums up the chapter is the metaphor of the elephant. Um, yeah, the elephant <laughs> uh, struggling and training itself, and that's as the mind does and through genre meditation we relax the mind and the, the rope the ignorance becomes that that is our surrounding us becomes um less tight and we become free and liberated um and the other thing getting back to the actual chapter that you had written when you had written about that really that really kind of popped out was and it goes to what we were talking about uh before your online retreat. And that is the, that idea of the conditioned mind, yeah. conditioned thoughts, um, and how the ego self really bears itself through conditioned thinking, the, it, the clinging and that grasping and craving comes from those can is, is perpetuated through, through that those conditioned thoughts Yes, and how in jhana meditation, even as we're meditating in, and, Every five minutes, you remind us those four foundations of mindfulness. Uh, you know, so um, it's a great intro to the to the course because I think it really points out uh, the the importance of being dedicated uh, and practicing jhana and being gentle with yourself and understanding what's going on at the present moment. Yeah. That's right. Well said, Tim. I mean, and, and it is it is just that basic. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't need a lot of elaboration, does it? We we meditate to deepen concentration. Period. You know. So, thank you, Tim. I'm glad you joined us tonight. Hello, Michael. Hi, John. How are you? Uh, Julia's here with me also. She's Hello, Julia. <laughs> I tell you, you need it. You need a, a more panoramic camera so we can see the both of you. <laughs> I'll, I'll have that installed next week. <laughs> uh, I was, uh, you know, going through the the first uh, first chapter there on uh, on, on meditation, uh, jhana meditation. But I'm I'm going back to the uh, to our most recent retreat. I mean, uh, our <laughs> retreat. <laughs> Bane of my existence. Uh, <laughs> going back to uh, uh, when the uh, we had the uh, the, the Sikha Sutta uh, three trainings for liberation. Uh, uh, Matsuta. 
Angotara, Nakaya, uh, three colon nine one. Uh, and I found like uh, a pretty good description here, which uh, gave me some clarity into, you know, right meditation. Uh, as we, as we look at uh, the third and fourth levels of jhana, uh, I'm just going to read this and then I'll do my best to relate it, tie it in. As concentration deepens, this is, uh, oh, wait, 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 this is the uh, third jhana, okay? As concentration deepens, further they enter and remain in the third jhana, the light and pleasure and the perception of pleasure and pain disappear. Very important. Equanimity and refined mindfulness increases and a peaceful mind prevails. This is the big one here, uh, the fourth level. As concentration deepens further, they enter and remain in the fourth jhana. Mindful equanimity prevails. A definition of what of, of profound concentration. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it's important. Okay. Uh, mindful equanimity prevails. Greed and aversion disappear. This is the development of concentration that brings peace and calm here and now. The training and heightened wisdom brings the ending of greed, aversion, and deluded thinking. I thought this is a uh, this to me uh, made me really understand what occurs in that fourth jhana. In that fourth jhana, what's going on in you know that fourth level of of uh, you know awareness, uh, you know in uh, in our concentration. This is when we actually realize that greed and aversion are disappearing. Yes. When our concentration develops to that to that point, yep. greed and aversion disappears. And, and, it, and, and it's in that moment, Michael. So again, I don't yes. mean to interrupt you, but thank you for bringing that out. No, I'm going. That's awakening. That. Yes. Well, it's also. Uh, he said, like uh, the Buddha says here, this is development of concentration that brings peace and calm here and now. Yep. This is the level of concentration that is needed to understand the present moment. The present moment is where we can put an end to the whole mass of suffering, so to say. Yes. Uh, especially when, when uh, the ending of greed and aversion, okay, and diluted thinking. That's going to keep us present. And when we're present, uh, our concentration is great. Again, at the fourth level, right? So we can see the world slows down. To be, the world slows down because we're not entangled. We, we, can, uh, we can veer away from those things that would entangle us and take us out of, you know, uh, taking the, uh, separating the mind from the body. So I find this to be actually almost like a breakthrough of understanding yeah. to realize that that fourth jhana is the place where where we have to we have to develop our concentration to the point where we can recognize present uh, moment by moment as being and that's uh, that's where that's going to uh, that's where disenchantment and this passion so when you say as being you're you're again I don't mean to put put words in your in your mouth or interrupt you but when you, I, but I know you when you're saying as being, you're saying as a dispassionate human being. Dispassionate, uh, dis disenchantment, dispassionate to that which uh, presents as a distraction. Yes. To Brilliant. Yes. Yeah. So that's what I got out of this. That's And uh, I didn't have that realization before until I read this with a greater understanding and real realizing that it is only through that jhana that will 
live in the present moment and be able to uh, um, develop a, a mind that's not distracted. And uh, it just gives me a little bit of clarity and a, a little bit better perspective and understanding on things. So that's what I just wanted to add to the class tonight. Well, it, it, thank you, Michael. That was brilliantly said, and it, it reflects on the entire Dhamma, it reflects on the Bahia Sutta. This is not me, this is not mine, this is not what I am. Whatever is occurring in this moment, but most importantly, not outwardly, but within my mind, how I'm perceiving what's occurring is what is is what is is the point of concentration. So that I have reclaimed my mind and I can think about what's occurring from the point of view of right view. That's that that's the whole point of the Dhamma, isn't it? To see things clearly. And we do that when we depersonalize, not not increasingly. And as we're encouraged by the world to increasingly take things personal. Nothing that occurs in the world is personal unless I make it so, isn't it? Nothing. I have to I have to take a um, a diluted but intentional act to take whatever is occurring personally. Even if it's someone screaming in my face about how much they hate me. It's still up to me whether I take it personally or understand that this person has some issues going on that are that are creating him to do that. And think about that in relation to what's occurring in the world. I don't want to get into the politics of of the world, but that's the that's the common problem, isn't it? We're taking things too damn personally, and we've learned how to not do that. So thank you, Michael. Julia, how are you? Very good, very good, John. Thank it's you. good to see you on that panoramic camera. <laughs> Next to Michael, <laughs> <laughs> that's not such a bad thing, though, is it? No, it's okay. <laughs> I get, I get to be uh, cozy here. Um, now you're on TV. <laughs> thank you. So I, I like Rom have also uh, naturally. Everyone knows that I practiced um, transcendental meditation for a very long time in my life, um, since I was twelve. So that's a very long, very long journey. Yeah. Um, my family, it was, it was part of my family, like the part of our way of life uh, was to practice meditation. And we did it as a family, you know, as a group. And um, I look at it as a very, uh, you know, it, it, it was a very, it was a very good experience in my life. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I have to say, even though perhaps maybe not, um, you know, that vehicle, that, that vehicle, that technique took me to this point here. And of course, here I am yeah. now. You know, in the practice with with the Buddha, you know, and, and in your and, family life, it was much better to have that focus than than something like um, to be the right to, to be the best Democrat or be the, the best Republican, etc. It, it was a very wholesome <laughs> focus to have in your family. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So that's what I was that's what I was going to say. But I noticed I, I know the difference. Yeah, that's what I was. This is what I was trying to get to get to this point was that. Um, that practice took took me to here, but um, I'm not enlightened. <laughs> I've, 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 I've done that for a very long yeah. time, and my, my, my family still practices. But um, you know, they still practice uh, transcendental meditation. Um, the thing the thing that's different for me, first of all, you have a mantra, so you actually have a, a, a word that's in your head. Yeah. So you you still have a thought. It's not like you've taken out the thought. It's yeah. There's a thought. You're still you're, you have a thought. Yep, so the mantra focus is is the thought that is the that yes. is the distraction. Exactly. Yep. Now I was able to get to the different levels of jhana, um, jhana, but that's when I released the mantra. You know, when the mantra was released, 
um, you know, when you're meditating. But um, so it became, it was a little hard when I first started practicing to release the mantra because it would it continuously come back and control, try to control my mind. Of course, it's conditioned thinking now. It's part, it was part of my being because I had done it for so long. But eventually the, the mantra became it had disappeared. It, it kind of became part of my breath and then it disappeared finally. So I, I yeah. every once in a while it'll pop up into my head. Yeah. You know, if I'm doing something, you know, even walking in whatever, it'll, it still pops up into my, in my head, but you know, I just treat, I treat it like any other thought. Um, the thing that I, that I really, uh, uh, I feel that is very important is the other seven factors of the eightfold path that supports. I, I read that in your book that, yeah, mm-hmm. this this first time I I mean I read it in, in the chapter the last time, but um, this time it kind of means more to me, especially after doing the retreat about the eightfold path. This time it had it had more meaning to me that mm. the seven factors do uh, they do support the meditation, yeah, and they strengthen it, yep. and they strengthen your whole your whole way of thinking, even understanding dependent origination. Uh, is extremely important, something that is not taught in the other types of practices. So you don't understand the whole process of how your mind, how your mind does this thing uh, and clings to all this phenomena to, to you know, to create a permanent self. So all this knowledge and all, all this understanding actually helps you practice and actually uh, um, become more aware and be able to control, control and direct your your thoughts instead of letting your thoughts control you, you in your life. So yeah. that's what I wanted to say. Beautifully so. said, Julia. I mean, it, it, so thank it's, you, uh, John. <laughs> well, it, 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 it's just the truth. And so um, we tend to think that um, Eastern religion, Eastern thought is just meditation. Like that, you know, as long as you meditate, you're good to go. And you're, you're some kind of Eastern or Buddhist practitioner but you're not it's a very specific technique within that larger framework and it's not just meditation it requires the other seven factors um, coupled with right meditation that deliver us what we hope to get which is understanding who we are as a human being and in that way there's nothing extraordinary about it but it is extraordinary in its simplicity and its technique because there, there, there's there's nothing else like it that I've ever come across that's presented in the way of the entire Eightfold Path. In other words, there's techniques that teach breath meditation, but I've never come across anything that teach breath meditation as one factor of a complete Eightfold Path, and that's what you're talking about. So thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, yeah thank you, John. Yeah. And, I, you know, Julia, you are a little bit... Um, unique in the group. I was at TMR too. That's how I first started. But you have found any, an efficiency in jhana meditation as opposed to transcendental meditation? Question mark? An efficiency? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, 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 no, I notice that my mind is actually more, um, it's, I have a more calm and peaceful mind during the yeah. day. And I, I notice that a lot. And I'm actually, I'm actually able to catch myself and return back to my breath when I have things that occur, you know, yeah. that occur that I would actually probably hold on to and cling to 
before now I'm actually I'm I'm I'm, I'm able to release it. Yeah, that's that's right. I, for for many, I, I don't I don't know if I've ever even talked about this. For many years, the um, my initial. Uh, uh, it, my my first significant inquiry into meditation was transcendental meditation, and I became part of a group that was rather well defined. And we we met uh, every Wednesday night at my home in in Berkeley Heights, and we had a a sit. And what developed was that the 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 social activity and the ideology around the group was what we were trying to develop rather than um, any type of uh, meditative insight. The focus was never on um, understanding who I am in this present moment. It was more about being the meditator within the movement was much more important. And again, I'm not putting it down. Um, I, I, I think what, uh, what Maharishi uh, his first instinct, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, um, began to teach transcendental meditation because he hoped to save the planet from destroying itself, from from the, the violence. That's why he left his his uh, his seclusion, he, he, and he that was his intention. And I think he helped. Um, and so the only I don't even want to say it's a problem. I think anybody that meditates, even if it's in transcendental meditation, it's a good thing. The problem is it doesn't lead to complete human understanding. We need more than just sitting on our cushion, right? Is that is that true, Julia? Yes, yes. Yeah. That's exactly what I was saying. You, there's something there's something lacking. You, you, there is something that's needed more. And I found that a lot of times, a lot of the med people that were meditating, they actually were seeking other knowledge from everything, from other places, because yeah. they weren't getting enough Um they didn't have a path, you know. They didn't have a way. And and speculative knowledge, right? I mean, mi mystical yes, and magical knowledge. Yes, yes, yeah. a lot of speculative knowledge. Yeah. Because, like I said, there's no there's no path, you know. There's a technique, but there's there's nothing that tells you how to how to navigate the the rest of your day in life, yeah. you know. And so, yeah. Um, yeah. this is all encompassing, which is is very beautiful. That that's right. That that's what was left. My uh. I still remember my TM teacher, and I'm probably going to cry when I talk about her. <laughs> I guess I do that too often. She was just a marvelous person. She was sincere in what she was teaching. And when I talk about TM, I think about, you know, the ceremony about learning TM. About um, how careful she was in teaching me the method. But in the end, what bothered me the most is it wasn't doing anything for me. I was just, I was, I had this practice, but I wasn't gaining anything, any understanding of who I, who I was or where I even was going, you know, and I, I don't want to get into the, the method itself and how it taught us, but it wasn't until I came across the Buddha's words that I became a human being and, and that's everything, isn't it? I, mean, I, I don't. I don't care what your practice is. If you, if your practice is going bowling on Thursday night, or TM, or being the most devout Democrat or Republican you can be, and again, I'm just referencing all the things that are going on in the world. It doesn't matter unless you can understand what it means to be you, and that's what the Buddha taught. That was that's that, that's the most incredible thing I've ever learned. That. 
Take a look at me on the screen. I'm an old man. I'm busted up. I've had a life that wasn't... Uh, completely morally perfect. It is now, but it wasn't for a long time. And it wasn't because of the Buddha's Dhamma that I was able to accept that. I'm sorry for crying, but I guess we're getting to, down to it that the most wonderful thing about the Dhamma is we learn to accept ourselves as human beings because what else can we be? Everything else that I've ever come across is about becoming something other than I am. The Buddha taught me that it's okay to be who I am and who we are. And it's incredible being who we are, isn't it? Isn't it? Give me a shake of heads, please. Yeah. Because it's all we ever can be. And it's enough. In fact, it's more... It, it, it's more than anything to unite a mind and a body and simply be a human being because that's who we are. I'm going to let that speech go. Thank you, Julia, for inspiring that. Kevin, how are you tonight? I'm doing well, John. Um, it's good to see you. I, I'm, it's good to see you, too. I, I like a couple of things. Uh, I do have some reading to do. I was a little busy this weekend. Uh, I'll, I'll get to it, but I liked what you said about we learn not to think that way and to truly know who you are in that moment or the moment. That that's that's profound, and that's where why we practice to calm our mind to to become familiar with that and to to learn what that that's like. Uh, and it's something pretty wonderful because some, I've had people ask me, you know, like, well, what do you think about <laughs> what do you, and I, nothing? I'm not, I don't think about that stuff. I just don't, I don't know how to say it any other way. And I, not to flip, be flipping with those people, but I just kind of asked them back, wow, what's that like to think about stuff like that? Yeah, or, that's right. So personally, but you know, we take it for granted as we, we, keep going down this path and with this group that we're in that we're so fortunate to, to yeah. have this path and train ourselves this way train ourselves for you know sort of what michael was saying that, that for liberation for 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 the joy of releasing what we don't know and it's not that hard we just have to do it and try and and it's uh pretty special to be with all of you so thanks i'll get to reading that and uh going to be fun to read it again. Thank you, Kevin. Yeah, they, um, I think I mentioned this yesterday, the Vitaka Santana Sutta, there was we gain the ability to think what we want to think when we want to think it, which simply means we think our, our thoughts are reflective of what's occurring in the moment, but they're appropriate to what's occurring in the moment. In other yes. words, there, there's no need for me to think that whatever is occurring, including me, I mean, it, it, it resolves in us. It's not an outward look. Right. that I don't need to be any different right now in this moment. Right. And then that's how that compassion is expressed. Cause once we, yes. do that, we really, we really see how, how people do that to themselves. And yes. We engage in practices that, that help improve us. Yeah. Well, why are we engaging in something that, that 
that I need to improve myself. What am I improving myself from? And I'm not saying about, uh, just as an example, going um, going to the gym and keeping your health up. Or, or I know Karen is, is, a, is a wonderful yoga instructor. It's a great practice that enhances us. The, the, the subtle thinking is, or am I doing it to fix something that's broken or simply doing something because it's good to do? And I, yeah. I, I bet you Karen understands that better than most people. But that's the point. I'm, yeah. I'm not engaging in a Dhamma because there's something wrong with me. I'm engaging in the Dhamma because it's the most wonderful thing I can do, period. Right. Karen, would you, would you talk a little bit about what I just said, if you're comfortable? I don't, I don't mean to, to, to pull you out, um, but do, yeah. do you have anything to say about that? No, no, not at all. Thank you. Um, yes, I mean, uh, unfortunately, a lot of people are out there practicing uh, yoga to, you know, get a better body or to be, you know, more attractive or to, you know, even distract themselves. Yep. But it's really, it is a practice of, of connecting the mind to the body. To, yes. Focusing on your breath and moving through the asana and um, really just connecting to your body and uh, enjoying what's happening in that moment. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's saved my life, frankly. I, I, I don't, yeah, it really has helped a great deal. Yeah. So, it, it, yeah. It, it, that's beautiful, Karen. Thank you for that. I, and again, I, I'm sorry for putting you on the spot, but I think yeah, it needed to know. be said, you know, we're not, we're not saying that the only thing you should ever do is practice a Dhamma and don't do anything else because it, it, human life is incredible um, and rich and varied and there's a lot of opportunities to enhance what's occurring in this moment yeah so uh, I mean, what you were saying just that that sort of release that we feel from letting go of that sort of other direction that all these other practices and things are talking about this new sort of lexicon of become the best version of yourself this new pop thing that's just yeah it's growing and it will grow but it you know it's just it's it's going the wrong way i mean it's 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 we, when we can release that need to be any different that is a really special moment yes <laughs> and, and then and, and it and that once we let go of the need for this to be any different than it is each and every moment is special whether we're we're we're, we're practicing the dhamma practicing yoga practicing yeah. our our golf swing whatever it might be it doesn't matter because we're living this moment and, and again, I, I don't, I, I don't want to call Karen out again, but that's that really is the ultimate point of what I understand. I'm not a, I'm not a yoga expert, but from what I understand is that's the point of yoga is to unite your mind and your body right here in what's occurring. They have a different method, and, I, and again, I'm, I don't mean to put too much focus on yoga, Karen. Excuse me, but what, what anything that can do that, anything that can unite our mind and our body is beneficial. And so the, 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 the Buddha realized that the most effective way of living a human life is to keep your mind united in your body. And then all the other activities that you might choose to do, whether it's yoga or bowling on Thursday night, will be pure because we're not expecting something that they're not able to deliver. And I, I think that's the point. Karen, would you like to talk about that last thing that I said? We don't expect it to be anything different than what, I, what it delivers. 
And you don't have to. Oh, sure. Um, well, I think that, um, that most of the students that I work with now, I think when they come to class, they're not expecting to be, uh, to change themselves necessarily. They're just looking to, I learn how to, well, the meditation, really it's meditation in mm. motion, really. Right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it's just about um, paying attention, going, paying attention to the inner world, you know, paying attention to the sensations in the body, the breath, you know, that sort of thing. But they're not, it's not really about fixing anything. Yeah. At least that's... Well, the way you present it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. It, it, thank you, Karen. I, it, it just, it's, it's an important point, and I'm taking advantage of the fact that you've joined us tonight. It, it, just, just to make that point, that uh, other um, wholesome things that we might do are not antithetical to the Dhamma. They're just, they're just different. But sometimes... And oftentimes the approach is the same thing to just be here present. It's a, it's amazing to me, um, maybe more so now than it's ever been, um, how people spend their whole lives just simply wanting to be to unite their mind and their body, and they don't know how to do it. And we found a way, didn't we? You know, because once once that has occurred, then each and every moment is meaningful. And there's nothing else that we need except to be present for right here and right now. So thank you all. I'm going to move on to David. David, how are you tonight? Thank you for that uh, incredible talk on Sunday, by the way. It's, it's posted on the website. Uh, I had an opportunity to read the chapter uh, right before Jen's uh, talk. And uh, I'm, glad I, I'm glad I took the time. It, and again, I was trying to tie things together and I think our discussion right before class tonight, uh, I think oftentimes we're trying to come up with the exceptions when the Four Noble Truths hmm. aren't appropriate. It's so, uh, well, we try to find exceptions where, where they're not noble, the real world, uh, Kind of trumps it if that's yeah. a bad word yeah but uh but the litmus test over and over again can be applied to each and every moment of craving and clinging and the purpose of the jhana meditation is insight to the three marks so that you can abandon the violence yeah. and that can be laid over each and every situation that you run into throughout your day, whether it's a, uh, eating that third piece of cake or having a bad discussion and you react poorly. So, uh, again, I, I love this course and, uh, it, it's a perfect way to start. And, uh, I look forward to each and every class. Thank you. All right. Thank you, David. And you bring up such an important point that when the um, when the four noble truths are seen as an anachronism, there's no there, there is no possibility for the dominant. Uh, and I don't remember if you were coming around 
Um, in the beginning, when I first started teaching, uh, there was a lot of challenges to to what I was teaching. In other words, I, I, I can remember very clearly um, people in class saying, aren't the Four Noble Truths and anachronisms, are, are they not, they're not relevant today. Why are you teaching this? And of course, that's the whole point of that they're noble truths, that they're timeless, but they also relate directly to the Dhamma. It, it, they're, they're things that help us keep our focus. So um, I don't need to be cons consider ideas of, of um, universal compassion as my Dhamma practice. That's a good idea. But what I do need to consider is the Four Noble Truths and why I'm not universally compassionate. Because that, that teaches me what it is. And I hope I'm making that point clear. It's not, it's not conceptual. It's a direct understanding of it. And you, you described that beautifully, David. And I, I think you, you, you say it all the time that the road reached the road when something that brings your blood to a boil. Yeah. You're not in right view. Yeah. It's something so horrible in you know inflaming the world that the dhamma teaches you that it's empty of substance it's by yeah. the aggregates and that you need to really look at how you're approaching that and you know abandon it and the 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 only substance there is to the object of my discontent is what I place on it. Is it right? Yeah, I, 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 I read something last week. I think it was one of the, the, the Ajahn. Uh, and, you know, when you don't eat the bowl of rice, the rice doesn't feel anything. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> All those little uh, sayings that, that they have, but uh, it's true. It's what's in your mind that yeah. Places of judgment and places of reaction. Yeah. So thank you, John. Thank you, David. Beautifully said. Jane, how are you tonight? I'm fine, John. Um, when I read this chapter, I began thinking of my own meditation journey. And it started off pretty rocky because I tried meditating on a cushion and I was extremely uncomfortable. You, you, you mean sitting on the floor tra tra traditionally? Yeah. And um, it became an endurance test. I mean, I was not meditating. I was counting minutes. Plus, I was upset with myself because everybody else could use the cushion. And, and I could yeah. not, you know, it was not a, it was not meditating. And then finally, I, I, I sat on the chair. And I really consider that the beginning of my meditation wow. because it was only then that I could, you know, let, let myself off the hook too. But anyway, even then I was like the, the um, young elephant because in the beginning I tried, you know, I kept thinking I could control the thoughts. And I mean, it took a lot of practice till I got to the point where I could, you know, find that space and, you know, and now I look forward to meditation. Mm. I won't say I crave it, but I mean, it's a, it's a very peaceful place, but it was a process. Um, mm. The other thing I wanted to say is when you were talking about, um, you know, the practice, like I was very upset with who I perceived myself to be. And uh, the practice has, has made me know that 
I am who I am and I can't be anybody else. Yes. And that's, that's okay. You know, and so I'm, I'm grateful for that too. Uh, thank you so much, Jane, for, again, for your, um, always consistent honesty and, and for sharing that, um, it's, it's the traditional meditation pose is just that it's just traditional but however we meditate uh since i came back from the hospital i haven't sat on a cushion yet but i meditate every day in my wheelchair and that's you know that's fine that's what works um so the 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 the, uh, the, the particular position we put ourselves in is not important what is important is the method and then doing what you just described jane is just simply continuing with the with the process um and i i, I know i know you now well enough that you you you've gained great benefit through your own right effort so yeah, thank you jane thank you john meg how are you i am doing great thank you um, I Good, had man. an interesting experience with this today, but, um, I did want to say too, that I've spent a lot of time in my life, um, in my mind, dissecting myself and my thoughts and everything that I've done or would you, you say, know, I know, again, I don't mean to interrupt you. Would you say analyzing your thoughts to find out where you're wrong? Or where you could improve? Yeah, I would yeah. say, um, no, not so much. I don't know about where I'm wrong, but just trying to figure out what, well, I guess maybe that's true. It's more like what the problem is. Yeah, <laughs> like, kind of the same the thing. But... Like, why am I unhappy? Why, yep. why have I been depressed or whatever, you know? You know, getting to a point in your life when you're young, you know, and you realize, wow, something's wrong here. This isn't right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. What's going on? You know, yep. something's not quite right, you know? And um, so I've spent a lot of time doing that. And I've had a lot of, uh, I've had some significant events in my significant emotional events in my life where I've had to, where things that have shocked me into, into my body, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. And um, I remember getting to a point where I, I thought to myself, wow, it'd be really nice if I could do this, if I could get there without having a significant emotional event. <laughs> yeah. That's negative. Yeah. Know, that's difficult. And, um, and so, but anyway, meditations really helped me that way. But there again, I find that like Ram was talking about, you know, is, is, you know, spending so much time trying to thought, stop my thoughts, you know, and that, is not really it doesn't work no it can't it, work it doesn't it just doesn't work no. and um so I, I had an interesting experience while i was meditating today because i um this is something that i do frequently is i um focus on my heart while i'm meditating so not my heart organ but in the center of my chest mm -hmm. so i'm focusing on my breath but i'm like that kind of like placing myself here, you know, and, um, it just like, I realized today, oh yeah, that's where I need to be. Everything just sort of melts and I, and the thoughts start to just automatically start subsiding. And then I, then I started having these like 
thoughts coming in that weren't the same kind of thoughts. And I don't know if this is, I don't know what it was, but I, I was paying attention to that because it wasn't saying it wasn't the I word. <laughs> you know how I was talking yeah. about the other day, how I know when it's this self-consciousness is when the I is in there, the I or the me. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it wasn't that. And I was, and I, and I just started realizing that it's like my mind, no, when I start focusing on the heart, my mind knows that the heart is the antithesis of itself, if that makes sense. No, it does. Are, are you, um, are you using the guided meditations from the website for your for your meditation practice? Yeah, so that and that's all it's describing to you is whatever those thoughts or concepts that are arising, you simply acknowledge that there they are and come back to your breath. And so in that moment, you're increasing your concentration, but it doesn't discount the um, uh, the the thought process that's occurring prior. To reclaiming our mind and our body. In other words, we're we're when those thoughts that are outside of meditation are occurring, but they're framed by the eightfold path, are are teaching us something, aren't they? And so, well, and that's what I felt like today. I felt yeah, like I was I felt like I was being taught something. And well, well, you are, and you're you're teaching yourself, Meg, what it means to be a human being. To have thoughts and feelings that arise and pass away that are completely impersonal, but they're also relevant to what's occurring. That's how we live in the world. We're not we're not supposed to become. Uh, we talked a little bit about this uh, using meditation to not think at all. We're not supposed to live through life in a trance. We're supposed to live through life being meaningfully present with life as life occurs, and that takes jhana and it takes the right framework. And you're describing that beautifully. Well, you know, and one of the things that came up, too, is that, um, you know, when I'm in my heart space, it's, it's, an, in, it's a, an intuitive place. And it's something that I really value because, because I do practice um, Chinese medicine. And so that's an energetic kind of a thing. Are you really? You know, so, that's our, so, our, friend, our friend Matt Branham is a... Is a yes, yes, yes. I knew that. That's great. Um, and, and I, I just know that that's my intuitive place. And I notice, you know, when I'm thinking and trying to analyze things, it's more, it seems like the mind is more instinctive and the heart is more intuitive. So it's almost like a lot of the time there's this battle going on, you know, between, you know what I would say, Meg, I was thinking that, 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 that in that you know the instinct is more fear and protection yes where there's desire inside. there's fear yeah and the and the and intuition is more of a spaciousness you know and a so, letting go kind of a thing so and, what i what i what i would say about that i don't and i don't i don't intend this to be an argument to you but okay. rather than say that the, the heart is the intuitive aspect of our being, uh-huh. it really is a mind united in its body that's an intuitive aspect. In other words, uh-huh. um, just to keep it pure, the, the heart is an organ. It doesn't have any ability to think or feel. 
But I also understand the reference that it is it is the Dhamma unites compassion with wisdom or informs compassion married with wisdom. And that's the reference to the heart. Of, of course, we, we're, we are, as human beings, we're incapable of not caring about other human beings, except true psychotics. And I don't want to get into that, which is a very rare condition in the world. We want to care for each other. It, it's inherent in who we are. But because of ignorance of Four Noble Truths, we often fall short of that. In other words, we judge people as not worthy of my compassion because they might be this way or that way or have, have this color skin or that, that type of political inquiry or, or they, they, they might be gay or not gay, whatever it might be. But that's my problem, isn't it? It's not the world's problem. It's for me to heal that understanding or to, or to recognize and abandon the fabrication that would make any type of... of uh, demarcation or delineation between anything that's occurring. And I'm not just talking about people. I'm talking about um, uh, uh, oak trees versus versus birch trees. It's, you know, in other words, I don't need to make a, de a determination between I like oak trees and, and birch trees. I live in the world. Here they are. It's it's not a consideration. I don't have to consider whether. A, a human being is one way or another, meaning I can approve of them or not, or a situation is something that I can approve of or not. It's it's what's occurring. And that's what you're describing, Meg, at a very deep and profound level. It's simply life as life occurs. So thank you. So can I ask you a question Please. about that? Because you said it's more like the mind is, is uniting with the body. Yes. So, so is it, when that happens, just what happens to that instinctive side, that part that? Oh, what a what a great question! So, um, let me put it this way because I, I think this is something that's on our minds and maybe it's relevant. Um, if in this moment I'm walking down the street, uh, I gotta I gotta think a little bit about this before I use the reference. I'm going to let that go because it it, 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 it might uh, inspire something. I hope it doesn't. In this moment, when I am not discriminating against myself or anything else that's occurring, including another human being, there's no cause for reaction. So no matter what's occurring, no matter who I'm, I'm involved with, no matter what the situation is, my mind, my mind is calm and at peace. But why? Why why is the underlying what is the underlying cause of my mind being calm and at peace? It's because I understand what's occurring. So even if what's occurring might be violent or even contrary to human well-being, I understand where it's coming from. So Yeah, I understand that. I had an experience with that once. So see, um, let me ex let me let me. I mean, I think this is important. So let me go into it a little bit deeper. It's not all that late. Okay. I was brought up in a, a town in New Jersey called Berkeley Heights, and during my lifetime, and until until I was um, twenty four, they actually did not allow people of color to even buy a piece of property. If they could have a billion dollars. 
they weren't allowed to buy a piece of property in Berkeley Heights. And that's the environment I grew up in. But I'm so I'm so fortunate that my parents weren't prejudiced. They didn't teach me to hate people because of the color of their skin. And even though I grew up in that environment, it never dawned on me that I should think of people of color as anything different than I am. In fact, it was a curiosity to me is why I didn't see more people of color in my community. It, it took years for me to understand why that was so, that there was an actual... Uh, 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 benchmark against against people of color living ne near next door to me, but it didn't uh, it didn't affect the way that I thought because I wasn't included in my environment. So and and I and I have to say just in this discussion, my parents and in, in fact my father more than my mother used the N word occasionally, but they used it because it was a reference to the color, not to the character of a human being. And that's a completely different thing, isn't it? And I mean, I, I, I've always found that, that N-word to be the most one of the most disgusting words I've ever heard. And I don't believe I've ever used it, but I understand it that way. It's how we look at people in relation to ourselves. Like, I'm not threatened by, I'm not threatened by color. I'm not threatened by sexual orientation. I'm not threatened by... Uh, by what sex you might be or how tall you might be or what you might do on Thursday night. Why? Because nothing can threaten me. I'm just a human being. And that is what contributes to the peace and calm in my mind. It doesn't matter what's occurring out in the world, but it also doesn't mean that I don't take any responsibility. So the thing that I'm most responsible for in the world is to not introduce conflict in the world. How do I do that? by ending conflict in my own mind. It's the most responsible thing I can do. And I hope this relates to what you're, I know I might have gotten off track a little bit, Meg, but it, 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 it's where your conversation led me. So I hope that's okay. No, I, I, I do that. I, I don't, I do understand that. I can relate to that. So yeah. thank you so much for that. Well, and, and thank you, Meg. So the, the, uh, the, the Dhamma resolves in just this, this is what's occurring. All the other things that we've developed as human beings as uh, important points of view to hold in mind, I am this, they're not, are all things that should fall away. Because every point, and I might be saying this because I'm a little bit sensitive to what's going on right now, but every point of view is a valid point of view. It just might not be resting in right view. And that's what we understand as Dhamma practitioners. There's things that relate to the Dhamma that relate to a conflict-free free life. But then there's things in human life that don't, but they're part of human life, and we should not reject them out of hand. The Buddha taught that suffering should be, dukkha should be understood. And it is through that understanding that I'm able to end up in a mind that is free of conflict with other people that I don't necessarily agree with. Why? Because I can understand where they're coming from. And because of that, because I can understand myself, I can now understand other people. That's the point of the Buddha's Dhamma. He didn't teach anything about um, understanding the conditions of the world prior to understanding what it means to be a human being. And through that, we gain our liberation and freedom. And, I, and Meg really touched on it beautifully, but I think this uh, the beginning of this class did too. Jhana meditation, the act of establishing concentration in this moment, 
even if it lose, even if we lose it in the next moment, in this moment, I'm free of conflict. And that's John in meditation. So thank you for a wonderful class. Are there any other questions before we finish with, with Meta? Can I bring up one thing? Please, Rob. Um, I'm just going to echo something that uh, was brought up at the beginning of the last run through of um, Truth of Happiness course. And um, uh, and it's about the book itself, the thing that we're reading right now. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, for the first three or four times that I read the book for the course, uh, I kept thinking, oh, my God, this thing needs some serious editing. <laughs> yeah well i would i would still agree with that but <laughs> yeah and then um at the beginning of the last course or maybe somewhere in the middle of it um lorna gets up and she says this is a really well written book that's why i always love lorna but go ahead <laughs> uh-huh and i know that uh, Lorna had a lot of trouble reading. It was a difficult yes. thing. She, she had a she had a, um, a, a a physical problem that made reading difficult, especially mm -hmm. and and in the in the comprehension. So let leave right. it at that. Yeah. So I knew that she, whatever she read, she read very carefully and very deliberately. So after she said that, um, I paid attention. So I started really slowing down my reading and reading it very carefully and very deliberately. And I, I can only agree with her. This is a very well-written book and it needs yeah. to be read very carefully and slowly. It, it, Take it, your time. It, it, thank you for saying that, Ram. Um, you know, the, the, the Truth of Happiness book was meant to be the second book, and it was meant to be a reference to the larger volume of Becoming Buddha, Becoming Awakened. Uh, and I won't get into the story about why I published it first, but I, I really went through that um, to, to write it out in a way that was not necessarily um, Ernest Hemingway-like, but actually, I mean, really, but, but useful. And, but there's a balance there. Because what good is it writing a book that people can't read? You know, there's no value in that. So um, I, I hope I succeeded. I, I know that I'm not the most uh, gifted writer. I don't, I don't even really care to be the most gifted writer. It'd be nice if it just happened. But um, the point of the book and the point of the Dhamma is, is to read it and to, and to practice it. And that's it, finally, when I publish it, I, that, that's good enough. So, Michael, you had your hand up? Uh, yes, John, I did. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just was yeah. trying to get your attention for when you had finished. Thank you. But I still, that's, I think that's still in right view. Um, you know. It is. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to. Uh, I wrote this uh, quickly down when uh, when Meg was talking. You and uh, uh, John, you and Meg were having a wonderful conversation, and uh, I kind of perceived this whole thing, uh, Meg, when you got down to you know talking about the heart. Um, I, I equate the heart, uh, and this is what I wrote down, the heart is the eightfold path wrapped in the compassion of profound right view. That's beautiful. 
That really is beautiful, Michael. And it, it, it's really true, isn't it? You know, again, you, you've heard me say it in, in different ways. Uh, and you've just said it in a different way. But the most loving thing I can do for myself and all those sentient beings is to take to the Dhamma and awaken. And that's what that means. That's the Eightfold Path. That's what this in incredible man, you know, I think we all are, um, in a good way, personalizing the human Siddhartha Gautama. But isn't it remarkable what he taught us 2,600 years ago that is still so relevant? And all that he taught us was how to be a human being. But he taught it for the most compassionate reasons. And I think that's what, it's, it's what, it's what refl is reflected in our Sangha. It's what was reflected over our, our weekend retreat. That we all just care about each other, don't we? We want each other to get this uh, in, a, in a real way, not in a, not in a, a grasping or clinging way. Uh, and that's what we practice. So, uh, one more thing, John. One sure. More thing, just like this, one more thing. Uh, back to like uh, I'm, you know, uh, going back to some things that we said tonight. Uh, uh, also, like you know, when uh, you and Karen were talking about like you know, and uh, Karen, you were speaking about you know your, your yoga practice and everything. Uh, uh, I look at uh, look at these things like, hey, that's part of a human life. You know, um, uh, it's right effort to. You know, keep yourself in some kind of active, you know, shape or whatever, or, or just it's not something that uh, you attach yourself to. But I do believe it's part of right effort in yes. uh, human life. And, and uh, go ahead, John. I'm sorry. No, think about the the venue. It's never lost on me, Karen. I don't I don't mean to put you on a spot, but. Um, Karen teaches at a place called Wan Dharma Center that has that could be seen as having a different philosophy than would in, uh, encompass yoga, yet they embrace yoga. Is it Thursday night, Karen, that you teach? I mean, I'm, it doesn't really matter, but I think it's Thursday nights. Well, no, it's changed a little bit. I teach Friday morning, and my uh, uh, my co-teacher teaches Wednesday night. And and so that is that is incorporated as part of the overall program of Juan Dharma Center. That's That's the point. It's not... It's not that it's something different or bad or wrong or anything. And I'm not just talking about yoga. It, you know, we could we can look at bowling on Thursday night as something that's frivolous. It's not. It's meaningful. It's, and it's more meaningful when we can bring right view to it. Is is really the point, Karen? Now that I've put you on a spot, do you have anything else you'd like to say? Uh, no. But I, as you said, I, I. I, I, it's, it is remarkable to me that the ministers embraced uh, the yoga classes very early on when they first opened up. Yeah. And they've been consistently going because they just want to uh, offer any kind of healing tool yeah. or any kind of community tool for, you know, for, the, for the membership. So, yeah. anyway. And that, that's such, so exemplative of, of the ministers at Juan Dharma Center. We, yeah. We, we, I mean, uh, honestly, you know, I, I, I teach something that is a little bit contra contradictory to what they would present, but they've never, ever felt, I've never, ever felt like I wasn't um, welcome there. And it really, I, I've said to Karen, that's, that's our second home. And, and what the point that I'm making is that's the attitude we need to have. It's not an attitude that something is different, so it's wrong. It's just, it's just different. And, and when we allow for that, we allow for the, the, the incredible fabric of human life. Because 
everything is, is different, isn't it? But when we start thinking as I like this and I don't like that, that's where we get into trouble. And I, again, Karen, I don't mean to put you on the spot. I think about the, the first time Moore and I went to Juan Dharma Center and we're walking up that little walkway next to the dining hall and there's Karen walking towards us. She just told us, you're welcome here, no matter what you are. And of course, if we were doing something that was really hurtful, we wouldn't be welcome there. But we're doing something that um, in a general way is potentially helpful to many people and is practically helpful to us that th th this is what life should be like but if we weren't inclusive if if um if one dharma center didn't have that attitude or karen didn't if she thought that we should be one way or another we wouldn't have found a place to have these wonderful retreats we've had for the last six or seven years i think we've had 12 retreats there and so it's such a such a good example of we need to be free of conflict in our minds if we really want to end conflict in the world because of the practical experience of that, of just what, what occurs within our minds. So um, does anybody else have anything to say before we finish? I know I've gone on a little bit tonight. Oh, okay, um, so uh, Saturday we'll be reviewing the second chapter, The Four Foundations of Mindfulness and relating that to genre meditation. So please read that. Uh, before Saturday's class, and we'll end with Meta as we almost always do. I know I didn't end the retreat that way, but so again, find your relaxed meditative posture, gently close your eyes, gently close your mouth, and take a moment to be mindful of your in breath and your out breath. And this is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wish it in gladness and in safety. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short, or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class tonight. Peace. Thank you, John.
Thank you. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.